You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. On the 24th of October 2021, for one of almost 20 interviews conducted for this series, we spoke to Alan Lamb. Is that OK? OK, perfect. <laughs> a fixture in the England team for a decade, winning 79 caps, Alan was a feared middle-order batsman, both for his county, Northamptonshire, and for England. Exactly a week after our chat, he goes public with the news. He's been receiving treatment for prostate cancer. While making this series, we'd been liaising with him for a number of weeks and were aware of his treatment. However, he was keen to do the interview, and as you'll hear... He's open about his illness. We're backing him all the way, including making a donation to Prostate Cancer UK and encouraging others to do the same. But it's not the reason we've made this episode. We've made it because Alan was a brilliant batsman and valuable member of the 86-7 touring squad, especially during the one day as when England, again, were all conquering. Alan Lamb played his part during the tests but mainly with laughs and beers and music. With Alan Lamb, he had this big ghetto blaster and then it became my job to carry the ghetto blaster. <laughs> so anytime that time uh, the music comes on, I remember full blast Lammy playing this, Cindy Lauper. He'd play Cindy Lauper, he had the CD of Cindy Lauper and he'd play that. That's the thing about this tour, you know, that song will come on and wherever I'm driving or wherever I'm, that comes on and I have a massive smile on my face just taking me back to what went on really on that tour. That's Phil De Freitas. As you'll hear, he'll be forever linked with Alan Lamb on this tour. It was fantastic what he did. Coming out of the test series, Lammy was having a tough time. He'd averaged just 18 from nine innings. Yeah, I should have got a lot more runs and I got out to Bruce Reed quite a bit. Yeah, I didn't get enough runs. So maybe coming towards the, the fifth test match, I thought I may not play in it, you know. But uh, we had just won the, the, the series in, in Melbourne. So, you know, they kept the same side. His time would come. After the Melbourne test, England went back to Perth to play a one-off four-nation one-day series. The Perth Challenge, you know, a novel competition, you know, a week or so in Perth. Yeah, that was in celebration of the America's Cup that was taking place in Perth at the same time. The Perth Challenge was just a phenomenal competition, which really went down well. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, the, the wide ball, the, the night time and, and four really good teams. 
David Gower, Chris Broad and Jack Richards with the England team. Opponents, exciting Pakistan, the explosive pace of the classic West Indies side of the 80s and Australia on home soil. England were arguably the outsiders. This was a new experience. Coloured clothing, floodlights, a white ball. I mean, the first time we played under lights was a, a practice session in Perth ahead of the America's Cup games. Goodness me, it was just completely different. White ball in the dark sky. I find it great. I really did. I mean, there's an awful lot of batsmen now saying, oh, you know, when it gets a bit twilighty, it's difficult to see this, difficult to see that. I'm afraid I don't buy into that because you focus in on the ball, whatever colour it is, and you play the shots accordingly. So I enjoyed the first time that I played white ball cricket under lights. And I just think it's a fantastic game of cricket. England, having won the Test Series, brought out the expats. I never knew there were so many Cornishmen in Australia, you know, ringing up for tickets all over the place. Suddenly you saw, through the success, the English supporters gelling together and getting together. And I can remember, certainly one day, there was an awful lot of support. And because of our success, because at the end of the day, you know, it was, we've never done so well. You know, we won absolutely everything and nearly won nearly every game. New Year's Day was a big one. England beat Australia. Both are making 68 off 39 balls, hitting Simon Davis for 26 in one over. Although the memory's a bit fuzzy. Do you remember the one you hit about 15 rows back over long on? Yeah, and one went long off as well, I think. Yeah, but yeah, the MCG is it's a massive ground, but the shortest boundary is actually straight. No, that was, that was Perth, sorry, that was Perth. That was New Year's oh, Day. Simon O'Donnell had smashed at Melbourne, sorry, yeah. Yes, That's Simon Perth Davis one. at Perth, yeah. Yeah, that did go a long way at Perth. Help with the Fremantle doctor. But um, no, sorry, it was Simon O'Donnell at, uh, in Melbourne, yeah. That's OK, Beefy. It was 35 years ago, and Jack Richards can help you out a little. Beefy suddenly was in his, in his element, and Simon Davis was the right pace for him, and the straight drives, the good cricket shots went a long way. Remember he played one shot, and I don't think the fielders, they were so straight, they could only move it, it still went between them. This is going great. On the 3rd of January, England beat the West Indies. Not just any West Indies, Greenwich, Haynes, Richardson, Richards, Logie, Dujon, Harper, Marshall holding Garner and Walsh. For many, the ultimate cricket team of the 1980s. At Perth, you know, of all places. My name is Jack Richards, which I still feel was one of my best batting innings. It was a 50 against the one day, 50 against the West Indies. Me and Larry took us from being, again, batting Felden, took us to a respectable target, which we could, which we actually defended and won that game, which is, again, for me, one of the highlights. Most probably could be close to being the highlight because we beat Australia, won the Ashes, we knew we were better than them but we didn't know we were bait in the West Indies. When you're a sports person, you want to judge yourself against the very best. And they were by far in the 80s, by far, head and shoulders the best. I was so elated with winning that game, more than anything and more than any test match, really. They were the bee's knees. We were classified as being one of the worst teams to leave England, and yet at the quickest wicket in the world at the time, we took on the West Indies, and we didn't just beat them there, we beat them three or four occasions in that whole series. Alan Lamb had scored 66 in the first match, 71 in the second. In the one-dayers, I did well in those one-dayers. 
After a long, unsuccessful tour, this was his time. It was a great relief, really, because I had always backed myself in one day cricket whenever I played. It always came down to the last 20 overs, and then we'd work it out from there. I had a lot of success also for going forward for England, you know, World Cup when we played in Pakistan and India. The side was fully confident that it could meet any challenge on that tour. It's a very special feeling because to come back from that horrible start in the first month and make the, the subsequent three months so triumphant was a, was a huge thing. Although the Ashes is the big one, it doesn't necessarily make it the best game, is it? It's not the best two teams in the world, necessarily. But when you can come up and pitch yourself against the best team in the world by far, and you actually stuff them, and you actually stuff them well, and you have a key part of that, that's brilliant. The thing I remember about that was we played Australia in Sydney, and we're all very tired, I think, looking forward to the end of the, the match. And I was sat having a beer with Greg Matthews, and he said to me, he said, you know, you'll never get another opportunity of winning absolutely everything in Australia. So for me, that struck a chord. Then we also beat Pakistan. Look at their team. Javid, Imran, Wajim Raja, you name it, you know, Akram, Kadir. They beat Pakistan twice at the end of that competition, winning the Perth Challenge undefeated, under the leadership still of Mike Gatting. We've beaten the West Indies in the World Series and in the Perth Challenge. We've beaten a really good Pakistan side with, you know, Imran and Wazim and me and Dad. And you could see the guys were growing in confidence. Yes, we managed to beat off the West Indies, Pakistan, Australia and win that particular series. And then, yes, at the end of the test matches, we played the World Series Cup. Things like the Commonwealth Bank Series, the, the one-day series. You know, Lamy's extraordinary performance in Sydney. That was all the, all the more extraordinary considering the night before. Now, that's just David Gower being a tease. But we like it. And we need to know more. Francis Edmonds, Phil DeFreitas, Alan Lamb. Join in. We were playing Australian that one day. We had a party the night before. In the flats at Bondi Junction where we were staying, which Lammy and I put together. We decided to have a cocktail party because David had organised Bollinger as a sponsor. Mrs Lamb had contacts and friends in Sydney who did the catering. I had my great friend Rob Hurst who supplied the Bollinger and other wines. And we had a very, very good night. I think there was more champagne going around. And what? It's just champagne and wine getting loaded onto the bus. Add to this, as if this isn't enough going on, we then get Elton John was on tour. All the guys, George Michael, Elton John, they all bloody came to this and we had a massive big party. All the commentators came along, uh, uh, Dennis Lilly. And Dennis Lilly got stuck in a lift. We invited George Michael that night. Charming chap on the 23rd floor of the Bondi Junction Apartments. Um, sat there quietly actually and sort of left quietly. Very well behaved. The party we had in Sydney, Elton introduced me to George Michael. I met George Michael because I was a great fan of Wham. And I love Wham, because Wham was the first concert I ever went to watch. I remember watching it at Kilburn, and that was the first one I went to. And then suddenly I said to Elton, you know, yeah, can I meet George? And, and George came in and introduced me, and I met George. You know? So it was just, you know, for me, it was just oh, amazing, amazing time.
Well, those days was great because we only started at two o'clock, so you can have a sleep. And, and you know, you didn't come in for like an early morning session. We just went straight to the ground, have our knock-up, and away we went. However anybody ever got on the pitch, ever, I don't know, but we did. I'm Frances Edmonds, and I was on the 86-87 Ashes tour as a supporter, writer, broadcaster, and wife of England spin bowler, Phil Edmonds. It seems to me now that they, they seem to rock around in an emetically sealed bubble, probably like tennis stars do, so, you know, surrounded by a coterie of folk or surrounded in their own little hermetically sealed bubble so that they don't interact that much with what's going on on the ground. And then I think you would get bored, you know, if all you're doing, if all you're doing is playing cricket morning, noon and night and you're not really sort of plugged into what else is going on, the rich tapestry of the life around you, what's happening in the politics of what's going on in the country that you are... You know, what do they know of cricket who only cricket know, as the great CLR James once wrote? You've got guys who will tour in India, Pakistan, Australia. They don't really care about the environment or the political environment. They're not that interested in the political environment in which they find themselves. I mean, Australia, even when we were there, you know, the politics that was going on, Malcolm Turnbull taking on the... British government over spycatcher. So Joe Bielke-Peterson, this completely hardline right winger, you know, the appalling behaviour of white, I mean, really white fascist government at that time in Queensland, vis-a-vis, you know, indigenous populations, all the stuff that was going on. It was fascinating. Maybe you'd say, fair enough, they're concentrated on their cricket. But if you're going to spend four months of your life in a country, yeah, get to know what's going on, find the people there. If you're not interested in those things, you're not interested in those things. So, you know, if all you do is get up, have your breakfast, go to the practice nets, play a game, you know, repeat, you know, wash, repeat, rinse, cycle, blah, you will go bonkers. And I'm wondering if that's not what's happening. Anyway, there you go. That's my take. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's the fourth match of the World Series one-day competition at the SCG in Sydney. I'm Mark Pugach, and I'm on the famous Sydney Hill, drinking beer, wrapped in a union flag. Sydney at night time, you've got the splendour of modern-day cricket, but also the old pavilion. It's just a great place to be. And that hill at that time was just fantastic. You know, it was just unbelievable. It was just a phenomenal place to play cricket. You know, it's got to be my favourite cricket ground of all, really. It's just unique. That's Jack Richards, the England wicketkeeper. He was one of three quick wickets to fall as England replied to Australia's decent 233 for eight from their 50 overs. England at this stage were 202 for seven with just a couple of overs left. Not good. Alan Lamb was in, joined by roommate Phil De Freitas. 
Lammy, I, I don't think people realise how hard he worked. You know, I saw it from my own eyes, really, what, you know, Lammy, how hard he worked at it. And, you know, everyone said, well, you know, Lammy likes to drink and he, you know, sort of had a bit fun. He did. But when it came to the cricket side of it, you know, he worked extremely hard. And, you know, and I totally respected him for that. And I saw it. And I, at times, you know, would go to the ground and sometimes Lammy used to run back. And I don't think people saw that. You know, would be all on the coach. And if it was, you know, say if he was only five miles away or six miles or what, sometimes Lammy would run back to the hotel. You know, he'd, he'd do his, you know, get his fitness, his training in. So, you know, Lammy, you know, sort of that side of Lammy, I don't think people realised. And uh, he did work very hard as well. Together at the wicket, with the run chase slowing down, things then took a surprising turn. We went out and I remember Lammy, you know, his first ball he faced and, you know, might have scored two, I'm not sure what it was. And he looked at his bat and he's gone and he says, let's have a look at your bat, Daff. And he looked at mine and he says, right, there you go, swap over. And he says, your bat feels a bit better, give us your bat. <laughs> so he used my bat because his bat was a plank. <laughs> I think a psychological thing, I think it was just because I couldn't hit the ball off the square. You always blame your tools if something goes wrong, you know, and... I said, no, I'm sure his bat's going to help. I said, we're 18 off the last over. I said to him, we've got to get it. You seem to be striking it. OK, I've got to have your bat. But I said, I'm going to keep strike, so uh, I need your bat. And remember, Alan Lamb was batting here the day after that Bondi Junction party. So when Lammy, substantially less than 24 hours later, was faced with finishing off that game, the final over against Bruce Reed, it was an extraordinary sight, absolutely extraordinary sight. It really was. Let's join Lammy out in the middle. I also remember that you were sitting in the crowds too. So we were right in the middle of the hill and England needed 18 off the last over with three wickets in hand. We were feeling quite punchy when it came to having a bet and I turned around to two Aussies who were next to me. They weren't mates of mine, I'd never seen them before and said, I bet you a slab of beer each that Alan Lamb gets this. So the first ball... And watching the first ball, he gives himself a bit of room and punches it for two to extra cover. And Dirk Wellham is the fielder. And Philip De Freitas is at the other end. They come back for two. It's not a good throw. And he said to me, whatever I do, he says, whatever I do, just get in and run. He says, just run. You know, and, and, and all I did was run. Right, so, OK, so, yeah, we got that off the first. So that's two, so that's now 16 off five. Then where did the next ball go? The next one, he just has an enormous hike and he gets a thick bottom edge straight into a Foster's advertising sign. The second, uh, we got that boundary. 12 needed off four. Correct. And he did all the calling, he did everything. If there was going to be two, made sure I got in. And then the next ball. Oh, it's a bit more of a modern day shot. He clears his left leg a bit and smacks it over long on. I hit that one for six over midwicket. Remember that? Really clearly. I remember that six really clearly. We couldn't do a thing wrong. After the first month, when we did everything wrong, <laughs> we couldn't do a thing wrong after that. So it was, it was, it was amazing, amazing over from Alan Lamb. And, and that summed up the whole tour, really. Because we went absolutely mad and starting to, you know, run around the hill and punch the air. And the Aussie supporters, you can see, are thinking, wow, because suddenly it's six off three. And you're going, well, hang on a second, 18 off six and now six off three. So surely they should cruise this, shouldn't they? You've got to back yourself. And I backed myself that last over. The way he did it, it was incredible. Then the next ball was the vital ball. 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 
I've got a feeling the ball was thrown to Bruce Reed's end, the bowler's end. So he stood in front of Bruce Reed and he just said, whatever happens, you run. And I was running and I'm thinking, well, Lammy, you're not moving. Now, this is so canny of Alan Lamb. This is so canny because it's only ever won. But as the throw is three quarters of the way back to Bruce Reed, Alan Lamb at the non-striker's end is standing right in front of the bowler. And he just stood there and the ball came and then he, he shifted and then went. And Bruce Reed, I think, might have fumbled it and we got in. So Bruce Reed can't see the ball, can't see the ball. And literally, Alan Lamb just starts to move. The ball hits Bruce Reed on the chest, bounces away. They get back for two. I'd hit it out to Dirk Willem again. And when I got to the other, I pretended I was going to take another run. And Dirk Willem, like, pretended to throw it or whatever. And I sort of, I knew he was going to throw it back. And so I ran back and I stood in front of Bruce Reed on purpose. I said to Alan Paul, don't be so stupid. I wasn't, I wasn't doing that on purpose. I mean, you know, I was trying to get out of the way of the ball. But I did stand in front of Bruce Reed. And when they threw the ball in, I did get out of the way and hit Bruce Reed, you remember, in the chest or something. And we scampered through for the run. And he took the strike. You know, we just carried on. Four off two now, England are the favourites. Three wickets in hand, that doesn't matter. Four runs needed off two. You know, it's incredible to watch how we did it. Alan Lamb suddenly giving himself a little bit more room. Then I think the next ball, we, I clipped him over mid-wicket for four. Oh, that, that, is the best shot of the, that is the best shot of the whole over. Flicks it straight into a four and 20 pies sign at square leg. There was just like such a cheer when I came into the dressing room. You know, everyone was so pleased. Punches the air, shake hands with Daffy DeFratis, who's got a massive grin on his face. Thinking back and looking back, it was just incredible, incredible moment. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall because all you guys went to celebrate in the pub afterwards and all the Aussies had left early. Do you remember? It was only a the Brits were staying behind and all the Aussies went to the pub and you guys must have come in there and must have really roasted them. And that's what it was all about. And our crowd just loved it. I can remember it vividly seeing our supporters really being so jubilant. It's nice to win. It, it's even better to win it than you expect to lose. I'm like, that's the best win possible. It's not one of those things you practice. Like nowadays, present days cricketers, you practice. You practice power hitting. The bats are different. Do, to do that back then was incredible, and it was it was fantastic. You know what he did. You know, winning that game sort of just moved us on. It just got every the momentum going. It was a huge moment for England, of course, to win that, and for Alan Lamb in particular. But. Even the Australian crowd thought it was quite funny because at the next one day between the two teams in the World Series, which was played at the Adelaide Oval, there was a banner which went up. Can Bruce Reed please call Alan Lamb at 24624? Yeah, that, that was hilarious. And I, all of us made a point of saying, Bruce, mate, you know, you've seen that. You know, Lammy wants you to ring him. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can imagine. It, you know, it was great. It was good, though. It was good, though. What happened was I spotted it was just over to, to mid-off, and I, I saw the banner. And, you know, Bruce Reed used to have that long run-up, and um, he was running into by and I spotted that banner there, and I thought, well, they're going. And as he sort of got to deliver the ball, I walked away, and he said, what's wrong with you? Effing bloody uh, pummy and whatever. I said, Bruce, sorry, mate, there's a message for you. And... Uh, he said, what are you talking about? I said, behind you. And he looked up there and there was this banner. Bruce Reed, please phone Alan Lamb. So, I mean, he wasn't very chuffed about it. We ended up beating 
Australia in the final and, and winning the World Series Cup as well, which I don't think will ever be done again in Australia. It was just an amazing opportunity for us. Chris Broad, what a tour for him. What an end to the tour for Alan Lamb. Just a great trip for captains past and present, David Gower and Mike Gatting. When you got home, just hearing all the wonderful, good feeling for everybody saying, you made our winter, it was absolutely fantastic. And even Margaret Thatcher, when we spoke, she said, you know, it was an amazing winter. He said the productivity went up, people were happy, there were no strikes. And when we left the country, it was a bit of a turmoil for cricket. And yet when we came back, it was just turned right the way around and it was just a, an awesome feeling just we were playing cricket you know that's what it was we were playing cricket we were enjoying ourselves we were winning and yet people were saying it just made a huge difference to their lives and it's credit on each individual it's credit on Mike Gatting as captain it's credit on the management for allowing the the tour to develop in the right sort of way and at the end of it all you're all allowed to be in that same room together celebrating and, you know, a job well done by you know, a very good bunch of committed individuals I played so badly and I didn't want to let the team down. So I said, I've got to get these runs. You know, whatever was going to happen, I backed myself to get them. If there was a chase on, I normally got them. And uh, well, that was it. We chatted to Alan Lamb in mid-October 2021. He's in good form, good spirits. We're almost wrapping up when the conversation takes a surprising turn. And Alan, how, how are you these days? Yeah, yeah, but you know, I've, um, I've just been um, uh, struggling with, the, uh, with this prostate cancer that I've got, um, but uh, I'm nearly over the treatment, so I've broken the back. So we finish uh, first, uh, you know, about the 4th or 5th of uh, November. Um, so we're on top of that. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disease that, listen, it, all men get it. And uh, um, some people keep it quiet and, and they feel embarrassed about it. But I, I've i been sort of campaigning for for prostate cancer for quite a while. Um, and we've, we've always raised money for them and, and, and create the awareness for, for prostate. But it looks like I'm going to have to do it even more after because I'm going to have to get out and let people know again because there's so many people getting it and and some people, you know, we should have never lost Bob Willis and um, you know, um, I think Bob's thing he was he was quite embarrassed about it, didn't want to speak about it and and then probably didn't get the right treatment um, in the end. So um, I'm very much for for campaigning for it and um, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll come through this and, you know, we're getting the right treatment. I'm seeing the right specialists. Um, so we're going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, life carries on, as I say. You know, you can't sit back. And, and I've always believed you've got to keep attacking. And uh, and that's my motto. So for you, uh, Alan, let's just be clear. Are you happy for us to use this because you want to use your platform to tell people? Yes, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. So you, you would say, you, you, you know, I'm, I'm being open, I'm talking about it because this is something that too often men do not talk about. Yeah, you know, um, I've, I've, I've been a big sort of campaigner for, 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 for prostate cancer and, um, you know, uh, lots of friends of mine have had it and uh, have come through, some haven't made it. Um, and uh, the big thing, the treatment's there now. You can be treated, you can be saved and, and people must go and get tested. I mean, I'm with Vitality and, and Vitality have been absolutely brilliant, you know. You've got to go and get your PCA 
um, your PSA test, go and get it tested and have it six monthly or yearly. I think anyone over 60, go and get it tested. And, and um, you know, I've been monitoring mine for, for a couple of years now. And uh, it started sort of creeping up, creeping up. And um, eventually, you know, um, we, we had to have a biopsy. And uh, um, because people can't tell, even the scan, they couldn't tell by the scan, they couldn't find anything. But I think, um, you know, with, um, you know, the biopsy tells you straight away. And, uh, but the PSA is your big, some people have, have, have big PSAs and they don't have it. But majority, I would say sort of 80% people where their PSA goes up, then they've got um, they've got the, the disease, and uh, and you can be safe. So I please tell everyone to go out and and um, you know create awareness. Don't feel shy about it. There's nothing to feel shy about. Um, you know, it's a men's thing. It's like a women breast cancer, um, and there's more people dying of prostate cancer than 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 women's because the women have gone out and they've campaigned they've campaigned about this. So. Um, uh, I just want people to, you know, I want to create the awareness for people to go out and get tested. Um, Alan, one more, if I may. How many of the people you played with, how many in the cricketing community know what you're going through at the moment? Um, not, I, I, not a lot. Um, I think uh, Beefy Gower, uh, they know. Um, Gladstone from the guys I played with. Yeah, all of them know. So, um, you know, I, I've said to them, it's not a problem. If, you know, if they see anyone, just tell them, you know. It's not that I've gone around phoning everyone. You know, I think just I, I'm very happy for people to, to tell other people that what I'm going through. Alan, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That's, you know, and we, we wish you the very best. And thank you for being honest about that. And as you said, with your, the point is, as you say, with your, you know, with who you are, people listening to this, you know, men will be going, actually, right, yes, yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's, that's exactly what you want them to do and that they will do. So thank you very much for being Brilliant. so open about it. Okay, that. guys, th- thanks very thank much. Thank you. Alan Lamb, he's received so much support since going public with his news. We wish him all the very best, as indeed does one of his great rivals during the 1986-87 Ashes series. Oh, it's sad to hear that news, but... Uh... I know what he's like. He'll, he'll do it with a with a smile on his face and um, be, be annoying everyone. Hello, it's Alan Border here. I was the Australian cricket captain uh, during the Ashes series of '86, '87. Yeah, what, what a good man. Um, and I'll, I'll send my best wishes now, but I'll, I'll follow up uh, later on. So, um, yeah, stay yeah. stay strong, Lammy. Stay strong, Lammy. If anyone has that famous banner from Adelaide in 1987, turn it over and write that message on the other side. Alan Lamb, one of the magnificent members of our Inside the Tour cast. Huge thanks to him and Alan Border, David Gower, Mike Gatting, Chris Broad, Jack Richards, Francis Edmonds, Gladstone Small, Jeff Lawson, Peter Taylor, Mickey Stewart, Pat Cash and Lord Botham. Make sure you download all eight episodes of the series for the full remarkable story of the 86-87 Ashes series. And if you enjoyed this one and didn't hear series one, that's still available, the story of the British and Irish Lions in South Africa in 1997. My thanks to the whole production team at 94.19, everyone at Audi, and to yourself for listening. I'm Mark Pugach. This has been Inside the Tour. 
Yes, we won. But we also had the best of times as well. And that was just magical to watch. You know, for me, it was just oh, amazing, amazing time. And I, I can't emphasize it enough. It was the happiest tour I've ever been on. I've ever been on.